you'd like to turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, will be the verses we'll be thinking about this morning. I'd like to speak to you this morning on Christian assurance. Earlier this year, I was on a Saturday night, I went and spoke at a Bible rally. And I spoke on Christian assurance. And I was quite staggered afterwards. A lady came up to me and said, I'm not sure whether I'm a Christian or not. Within a few moments, someone else came up to me and said, you've made me really think tonight about whether I'm a Christian or not. And lo and behold, someone else came up to me and said a similar thing. Now that was just three people. But I wonder how many others went from that meeting thinking, well, am I really a Christian? Have I got Christian assurance? The Apostle Paul is about to be put to death by Nero. He will be beheaded. But here is a man who is full, brimming over with Christian assurance. Now listen to these three verses. For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. For those who are following in the AV, can I read them? For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me own, only but unto all them also that love his appearing. Christian assurance is something which is of great importance. There are some Christians who think they're not Christians because they do not have Christian assurance. That was my state in the early days of my Christian life. Was I or was I not a Christian? I couldn't work it out. Not until someone helped me with that matter. There are some who had Christian assurance, but they have lost it because they have backslidden, they have sinned, and their attention has been taken from the Lord. That was David's experience when he sinned. In his great prayer of Psalm 51, he says, Lord, 
restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Of course, there are some who think they are a Christian, and they are Christians. They had a little open air meeting in Droitwich yesterday. The number of older people who said to me, I'm going to heaven. And yet, do you know something? They weren't interested about the gospel we were preaching. That's what liberalism, mysticism, superstition does. Everyone's going to heaven. Universalism. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ? On that day he says there'll be many. Not just one or two. Many. He'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's a solemn, solemn thing. And of course, there are some who do have a problem with Christian assurance. But they don't do anything about it. I've met lots of people like that. Oh, I'm not really sure whether I'm a Christian or not. Yet they come along to church. But they never take time to remember what 2 Peter chapter 1 says. Make your calling and election sure. In other words, they don't seek the Lord. They don't seek the promises of Scripture. And they don't get the matter sorted out. And then, of course, there are some people who do really struggle with this issue. And they do make an effort to search the Scriptures and search their hearts. Of course, there are some churches who say, you can't have Christian assurance. And they do not encourage people to seek after Christian assurance. Perhaps someone's already saying this. What are you talking about? Christian assurance? What's all this about? Well, you stay tuned and we'll explain it as we go along. As I said, these three verses are tremendous. Paul had this great assurance that he was saved and that he was going to heaven. Now Joseph Hart wrote a lovely hymn. I won't repeat it all, but there's a little phrase in there. It says this. True religion, more than notion, something must be known and felt. Known and felt. And Christian assurance is when you know from the scriptures the promises of God are sure and, and they are amen. And that the spirit of God has worked to work in your heart, you're regenerate, you're born again, and you know Christ as your saviour. And Joseph Hart had it right. Now let us look at these three verses. First of all I'm going to look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. You can be saved, and you can know you are saved. And you can know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can know that the Lord Jesus Christ has prepared a place in heaven. Now in this verse there are two pictures that are painted 
The first one is this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now we have to go to the Old Testament to get the picture. In the Old Testament, it was all pointing to that great time when the Lord Jesus Christ, who would offer himself up as a sacrifice for sin, complete and finish that great work. But in the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices. And the Old Testament saints had to learn the way to get right with God was through a sacrifice, through blood being shed. It was all God's appointed way and confessing their sin. And that sacrifice, that blood, would atone for their sins. It would point to the Lord Jesus Christ and they could be right with God. A burnt offering was an offering which was completely consumed by the fire of God. It had to be perfect, without spot, without blemish, because that's what God had said, because it was pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the offerer, with that burnt offering, one of his lambs, or one of his cattle, would bring a drink offering. Now that drink offering wouldn't add anything to the burnt offering. It may have been a glass of wine poured on the offering or some believe at the foot of the altar. But that wine wasn't an offering in itself. It was a sense of the joy, the thanksgiving that the Lord had provided an atonement for the sinner's sin. It was given out of an expression of thankfulness to God for providing a place whereby men and women could get right with God and their sins could be forgiven. And that's how it was. Now what is the Apostle Paul saying in this little phrase? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Well, this is what he was saying. He says, from the moment I was converted and I came to know the living Lord Jesus Christ, I became a thankful and rejoicing Christian that Christ on the cross had died for my sins and now I want to pour my life out in service, in thankfulness, for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. And of course, that's what the Apostle Paul did, isn't it? Right from that moment he was converted, he wanted to be known as a Christian. And he gave his life in service to take the gospel, particularly to the Gentiles. He made his missionary journeys. And wherever Christ hadn't been named, he took the gospel into Asia, then into Europe. And then when he was taken prisoner into Rome, and this is where he is at this moment in time, his life is being poured out and in thanksgiving for what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. Now this is a sign of Christian assurance. Generally a person has been saved. They want to show their love, their devotion, to the Lord Jesus Christ. C.T. Studd, he had everything. Wealthy background, famous cricketer, but he became a Christian 
And he wrote those famous words, I won't quote all the poem, but he says, When I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life has been blazed out for thee. Now that's Christian devotion. He also said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make of him. That is Christian devotion. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a question. This is my question. What has happened to Christian devotion, dedication, consecration, a pouring out of one's life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we lost sight of the cross? Have we lost sight of the wonder of God the Son bearing our sins at Calvary's cross? When you realise that reality in your life, it brings out a heart of love and devotion to the Saviour. So that's a sign of Christian assurance. Now I'm not asking you to be a CT stud and I'm not asking you to be an Apostle Paul. But you know what I mean. Whatever little service area the Lord has given you, be one who pours out your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second picture in this verse. And it says, The time of my departure is at hand. Now, it doesn't say, The time when Nero is going to kill me, murder me, put me to death is at hand. He says, The time of my departure is at hand. It's like being in the departure lounge at an airport or, or, or a railway station. Well, here he is. But he's saying this, I'm going to depart. Now, in the Greek, I understand this word departure means this. There is a ship in the harbour. It's tied. But there comes a day when those ropes are loosened and the ship sails from the harbour to another land. Now that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has got in mind. There's going to come a day when he will be loosened from this life in this world and he will go towards glory. Now of course he's expressed this already in Philippians. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better I wonder, do you think like that? Do you think about that day when you'll depart from this life to be with Christ, which is far better? No longer will you be in a body that gets weary, that gets ill, that gets worn out. No, something of that conflict within of sin and temptation that flesh that continually bothers you to draw you nearer to this world instead of nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get fed up with this world, with all its wickedness and its schemes? And the Satan who was always there to tempt you and to try to draw you away from Christ. To be with Christ which is far better 
nearly a hundred years ago, there were a missionary couple called John and Betty Stamm. They worked for the Chinese inland mission. The Japanese had invaded the land. After carefully hiding their little baby, they knew the Japanese were coming. At one moment, Betty was asked, Are you afraid of dying? Well, in fact, they were both beheaded by the Japanese. But before she died, she wrote a poem. Perhaps some of you have heard it. Remember what she was asked? Are you afraid of dying? She wrote this. Afraid of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? Afraid to see my Saviour's face? To hear his welcome? And to trace the glory gleams from wounds of grace. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart, darkness, light, oh, heaven's art, a wound of his, a counterpart. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not. Baptised with blood a stony plot, till souls shall blossom from this spot. Afraid of that, she was thinking about the blood being the, 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 seed, the blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. That is Christian assurance. Wesley said of his people, "My people, our people." Die well. What a testimony that is. To be with Christ, which is far better. And here is the Apostle Paul, his valedictory. He's on the ship of death. And he is waving goodbye to this world. I'm about to depart. Goodbye. And he's going to a better country. That heavenly country. To be with Christ which is far better. The wonder of Christian assurance. Now the second thing I want to say, and look at verse 7. The walk of the Christian with Christian assurance. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race or the course, and I have kept the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying three things as he reflects over his past life. Now, he isn't boasting or congratulating himself. The experts tell us it should be something like this. The good fight, well, I've fought it. The race or the course, well, I've run it. And the faith, which refers to the doctrine of the Christian faith, I have kept it. Now a person with Christian assurance will have activity, but you need to make sure it's the right activity. 
The Apostle Paul sums it up in three areas. Number one, he says this, I have fought the good fight. He realised he is in a battle. On that gravestone, I understand these words are written about a soldier. Here lies a good soldier whom all will applaud. He fought many battles at home and abroad, but the hottest engagement he ever was in was the conquest of self in the battle of sin. And that is the Christian's experience in this life. Who is our biggest enemy in one respect? It's our old selves. What is the biggest danger in our lives? It is sin. When the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, he's talking about Christian assurance. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The mark of the Christian is a spiritual life. Those who walk according to their old sinful nature, according to the course of this world, there's every question mark over them whether they are a Christian. Galatians, we read these words. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another so that you would do not do the things that you wish. Within, there is a battle. Now that's a good question to ask yourself. When I've spoken to people who lack Christian assurance, I try to find out how they view sin. Those who are careless and not bothered about sin, well, are they a Christian? But those who are struggling with Christian assurance, but they're grieved over their sin. And they regret sins. And they feel their failure. Do you know something? They might already be a Christian or they're not far off from being a Christian. Because that's how the Spirit of God works within our lives. It shows us what we are like. By nature, we are sinners through and through. And there is this terrible, terrible nature, this self-nature, this old fleshly nature of sin. So I ask you, do you know anything of that battle within? The old nature against the new nature, striving, the temptations, the, the fight, and so often the failure. That's the first thing the Apostle Paul says. The second thing, he says, I've finished the course, or finished the race. Well, we all know the Apostle Paul was given a course directly who was converted on the Damascus Road. He was going to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he went off in his life. Now, he didn't know anything about the course. It was all in the providence of God and in the sovereignty of God. But he ran the course. He took the gospel to people who hadn't heard it before. And that was his course. And he could say here at the end of his life, I've run the race. I've finished the course. Now, 
I don't know what the course the Lord has given you. Sometimes we don't find out that course until we go along in the Christian life and we look back and we say, oh, the Lord led me there. Oh, the Lord, that's the job the Lord gave me to do. That was what the Lord did. And we look back with great reflection and we say, whether it was a great job or a small job, at the end of your life, will you be able to say, I've run the course. I've run the race. Professor Werner Wright, he knew he had cancer, not many months left to live. And he was asked how he was facing death. And he said this. He said, when you see the finishing line, you run faster. And you know there's a sense in that. Because you know your days of service are near to the end. You run faster. What a lovely thought that is. Now, you may not be a preacher, but you can pray for the preacher. You may not be someone who takes a prominent part in Sunday school or youth or anything, but you can witness to your friends. That's the course. I've met people, they'll never be a preacher, but they're so good at speaking to their friends and relations about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be involved in the evangelism of your church. You can help with the practical duties of your church. And I'll tell you this, church doesn't just happen. You need people in the background doing things to make sure things happen in order that a church might run in an honourable way. Paul could say, I have run the race, I have finished the course. And then he says these lovely words, I have kept the faith. Now, as I said, it's a body of doctrine. It's what we believe as Christians. And sadly, we're living in days where very few consider the great doctrines of Scripture. We've departed from the great confessions of the Christian faith. But he says, I've kept the faith. Did you notice those words in verses 3 and 4? He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We live in days when the church is so weak. You think of a body, your body without any bones. <laughs> You'd just be a pile like a jelly on the floor, wouldn't you, without any bones? Well, it's doctrine that gives us the structure. Those truths that burn within our hearts, which we apply our minds to, which we are thrilled about the great doctrines of the word of God. Now, many have turned aside. They've gone for an easier path. They've turned aside to fables. That's what the verse said. They have things which just, well, just makes people feel comfortable. No challenge, no conviction. Let's just turn up for church and that's it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the great truths of Scripture should have an effect upon our lives about how we live and what we believe and what we stand for. And what we're prepared to die for. That is the great emphasis of 
the word of God. So here is Paul. He's full of Christian assurance. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the walk of the Christian with assurance. Now, one final thing I want to say, and we turn now to verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love, who have loved his appearing. You'll notice in the AV, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Here is the Apostle Paul looking forward to that great day, not just the day of his death, but the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in glory. And what a day that will be. What a day that will be. We won't be seen just through the word of God. We'll be seeing our Saviour as he is. We'll be seeing the wonderful salvation he has given us. Good old Murray McShane. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with an unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And that crown, that crown of righteousness, what will we do with it? Some believe that's talking about justification. But what will we do with it? Revelation chapter 4 tells us, We'll throw it before the throne of our Saviour and we will say we're here all because of what you did on the cross of Calvary. What glory that will be. And we look forward to that day. The other day I was speaking to someone and just he's getting a bit, a bit older than I am and he said, oh, we're going to die sometime, aren't we? And I repeated the great hymn but Lord, it's not for the. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed, uh, blessed rest of my soul. And that's right, isn't it? We look forward to that glorious day when this old, old world will be finished with and the Lord will come in glory. Just before Christmas last year, a man phoned me up and said, David, will you please preach at my funeral? Now the dear man had been suffering from cancer and he was having to go into hospital to have some quite, well, some quite heavy treatment actually. He said, will you preach at my funeral? Now I generally have a little joke, but it was a bit too serious for the joke that time. I generally say, when is it? But that's just my little joke, all right. But I did say this. I, well, I said, Andrew, if I'm still around, I will preach at your funeral. And then just to ease the atmosphere, I said, have you got a text you'd like me to speak on? Oh, he says, yes, I've got it all worked out. I've even got the outline of the sermon, what I want you to preach. <laughs> How about that, eh? Here's a man with Christian assurance. 
So I said, okay, Andrew, what's your text? And he said, Song of Solomon. I thought, oh, this is going to be challenging. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. And it says this. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Now, some of you might not understand the depth of that. The book of the Song of Solomon is a picture of the bridegroom, who is Christ, and his love for the bride, which is the church. And there is this love between the bridegroom and the bride, and the bride and the bridegroom. There's this great love. So he's speaking about the church. So these words, who is this coming up from the wilderness Leaning upon her beloved. Now forgive my little paraphrase of it, but I want to be understood. Can you imagine two angels looking down on this world and someone's coming up to heaven? And they say, who's this coming up from the wilderness of this world? And the other one says, don't know. But we know this. He is leaning on his beloved. Their full trust is in their beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have nothing else to lean upon except the Lord Jesus Christ. What a text that is, eh? Can I ask you this morning? Are you leaning upon your beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say, the top lady, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. There is salvation in none other. And if you are a Christian, what blessed assurance you have of that day when you arrive in glory and you'll look at your Saviour and you'll say, Lord, it was all because of you and what you did at Calvary's cross. What blessed assurance. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we bow before thee. And Lord, we are staggered to think that you should love such sinners as ourselves. We are amazed that you should send redeeming love in the person of thy dear son into this world. And when we think at Calvary's cross, we who are believers can say, my sin was laid on the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, how gracious God, we are amazed at your love for us. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray, Lord, please, however long we have left in this world, our lives might be poured out in service for thee. 
Father, bless us each one if there is any amongst us who lack assurance or know not anything of the Saviour's love. Speak to them, we pray, even this day, because we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.